Welcome to Ununinformed. I'm Kendall Monette. And this is Sean Seavey. Each week we bring you stories that keep you up to speed and connected to the world around you. We give you the news that matters so you don't feel so dumb around your smart friends. Today we're talking with Sarah Hall, who has been working with albinos in Africa. For many years, people with albinism have been hunted and body parts harvested for their supposed magical properties. But first, let's talk about some headlines. So as everybody knows, Carrie Fisher died last week. Um, and only a few days later, her mother, Debbie Reynolds, um, died as well. Carrie Fisher, a.k.a. Princess Leia. Uh, Debbie Reynolds, a.k.a. Um, uh, I haven't seen Singing in the Rain. A uh, person on Singing in the Rain. You haven't seen Singing in the Rain? <laughs> the first color movie ever. Okay, maybe I will. I'll go watch, you know, Star Wars uh, again <laughs> and Singing in the Rain. Um, <laughs> but uh, the good news is uh, Carrie Fisher is coming back to life. Um, we'll see her in Star Wars Episode Eight at the end of this year in December. Um, and that apparently has already been filmed. This year being 2017. Welcome to the new year, by the way. Yeah. Happy New Year, everybody. Um, I'm looking forward to that uh, Star Wars uh, movie at the end of this year. So it's already been filmed. Um, I was just about to give a spoiler from Rogue One, but we'll avoid it. For those of you who've seen it, Princess Leia is going to be in it. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Spoiler, if you haven't seen Rogue One yet, um, there's a little thing where Princess Leia is in it. And if that's a spoiler, then you're really not a Star Wars fan. Because it's been like three weeks now. That's right. Um, but uh, but, but uh, her being in this movie could be a big, big deal. I kind of reflected on Dark Knight with Heath Ledger. Um, right. And, and uh, it, that created a lot of buzz. I don't know if, what it actually did to affect movie sales. Um there's no way to really prove the effect of him dying before the film was finished. Um, there's no no way to really prove that that affects movie sales. But but yeah, it generated plenty of buzz, um, and I I think that this will be a great uh, memorial to uh, Princess Leia who will come to life for a small moment moment while we watch Star Wars Episode Eight. Um, here's another fun fact about uh, Carrie Fisher. Um, did you know that she married Paul Simon? One um, as in Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah. And uh, he uh, he wrote a song about her. Um, and I just tried. I extracted a few lines that seemed to be talking directly about her. Um, they say two people were married. The act was outrageous. The bride was contagious. That um, sounds dangerous. Oh well, and and. Uh, it was short-lived. It was only about a year, I think. That's why it's like kind of not a not a big deal. In was the it because of her disease, her contagious disease, or <laughs> what? <laughs> anyway, um, you know, rest in peace, Debbie Reynolds and Carrie Fisher. Awesome. So for our next story, also rest in peace, Ronda Rousey's career. Um, for those of you who don't know, Ronda Rousey is a career fighter a boxer a, a, a female fighter for mma that kind of thing oh really hey, i'm out of the loop with the mma so fill me in me too but i was reading over her wikipedia page that's my source so great take it as it is but um apparently a lot of these people do all kinds of fighting so they do like the very uh, prestigious olympic fighting you know um judo and and boxing and stuff like that from that end of the spectrum all the way to like 
TV WWE or WWF. It used to be WWF where they throw the chairs. Or Wildlife yeah. Fund. Not that. But, yeah, they do it all. She's appeared on that. Anyway, seems like she might be taking a hiatus for a while because last Friday night, again, this shouldn't be a spoiler for anybody who really cares, um, she was beaten in her fight against Amanda Nunes. Um, it was a 48-second fight. Oh, now, <laughs> so this whole time I thought you were telling us she died. <laughs> oh, no, no. She's alive. <laughs> right to, to give, okay, rest in peace to her career. Okay. Right. She's that just, shows how much uninformed I am on this. On women's boxing? Women's boxing. Or on an, women MMA. We'll, we'll give you a pass. Yeah, I was looking up um, Ronda Rousey's record for her past fights, and one of them she ended, I think it was in 15 seconds. Um, one of the ones in 2015 that was right before her first defeat in 2015. Actually, her first defeat, I think, ever somehow in, in that sport. Um, she ended the fight in 34 seconds. And then in late 2015, uh, she was beaten in 59 seconds. So that was a huge blow. Everybody thought that she was going to win that one, so and she didn't. She was beaten in 59 seconds. And then this time she comes back after a year of training and, and doing activities in the Olympics, and then... She gets beaten in 48 seconds. So a lot of people really think she's done. She's down and out, as they say. And so uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. And um, crazy, crazy how quickly these these fights seem to go sometimes. So rest in peace, not her, but her her career, career right? <laughs> And here's another headline that I I feel like got kind of buried under other things that I f- feel like is a really important thing that we all should be talking about. There is finally a vaccine for, for Ebola. Really? Yeah. So recent, So let me just give a little background on how bad Ebola is. So according to the WHO, Ebola has claimed the lives of over 11,000 people. And the, But the worst part of it is that every time we have an outbreak, we are absolutely defenseless. There has been no vaccine, no nothing. Um, the, the death rate is anywhere from 25% of people who contract it to 90%. Um, but on average, about 50% of people die who contract it at all. So this is a deadly thing. Um, happens mostly in African regions, but the good news is this trial there, this, this new vaccine, um, there's recently, the results were published that they, when the the recent outbreak, what was it, in uh, 2014? Yeah, yeah. And uh, some scientists had tested 4,000 people in in Guinea. That's an African country. I'm not that familiar with it. But there were 4,000 people, and these were people that were at high risk. They were around people that had already been infected. So all 4,000 of these people that were given this vaccine, not one of them got Ebola. That's a pretty big number. That's 100%. Success rate. Now, when you say now the actual number may will probably be lower than that, but in this trial, one hundred percent were Ebola free. So basically, we have something combat to combat it with in the next outbreak. But wait a minute, there won't be another outbreak because of this vaccine. Right. Yeah, this is something we can do to get a head start on it and squash it before it even happens. And and I think uh, it'll take. You know, uh, a while for it to actually come into uh, production, 
Um, but that should be, well, about next year, 2018, where this should be able to be in full production. Perfect. I wonder if we can talk to my friend in the FDA about getting that, getting that sooner. Oh yeah, we're <laughs> we're uh, yeah we're talking to somebody in the FDA in a few, in a couple few weeks. weeks here. Perfect. So I guess the last big news story is um, one more death last week, oh. and that would be the death of the year 2016. Bon so, voyage. This is not one that a lot of people are going to be missing. For a lot of people, 2016 was a bad year. I had a lot of positive things happen. Um, but then a lot of negative things as well. I got a job. That's good. That's always good. I kept my job. I, I read all these headlines that said, people are saying 2016 was the worst year. Now, that was from, notice that was from, uh, it was probably from liberal media outlets that I read that because this was a bad year to be a liberal. <laughs> That's right. But um, I feel like th- something I've been thinking about lately is living with 2016 in 2017. You know, there are a lot of things that happened um, the past year that we will be dealing with this year, especially. So um, personally, in, in our personal lives, whatever we felt like, whatever rain cloud was over us the, this past year, it's not just going to be sunshine and butterflies from here on out. But as far as staying up to date and current with the world around you, we've oh, got you back. Yep, yes. the sales pitch <laughs> for un- your, Uninformed. Your only com. hope in 2017. That's right. Un- uninformed. And now let's go on to the main story. Sarah Hall is a professor at Utah Valley University, and she has her Ph.D. in global health. She's dedicated much of her life to combating the issues related to people with albinism, a.k.a. albinos, um, in sub-Saharan Africa. Sarah Hall, welcome to Uninformed. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So to start out, Sarah, we wanted to ask you what exactly is going on in sub-Saharan Africa concerning albinos and what dangers are they in? Good question. So the main issue that is often talked about in sub-Saharan Africa concerning persons with albinism is the killings that have recently occurred. Um, So over 100 people have been killed. There's been at least 70 killings since 2007 in Tanzania. Wow. In 2004, they reported about 129 recent killings with about 180 other attacks. And this is mostly happening in Tanzania and Malawi, but it's also happening in other countries. Um, so chopping off limbs is one of the common things that happens because there's a belief that persons with albinism possess magical powers that can make people rich or successful or get politicians reelected or things like that. And so there's a lot of living in fear from persons with albinism there. Um, but in addition to the attacks, um, persons with albinism generally experience other issues such as medical issues. So oculocutaneous albinism is the type of albinism that we're talking about. And so ocular refers to the eyes. So there's several eye conditions that they experience. So they have photophobia, which is the discomfort or pain with viewing bright lights. There's also the nearsightedness or myopia. Um, there's the nystagmus, which is the involuntary eye movement, kind of the twitching that you can see. And strabismus, which is the lack of coordination between the eye muscles, where one eye kind of moves slower than the other one. And that prevents them from focusing on the same object. So they have the eye problems. So this also relates to their ability to achieve an education, particularly the albino children. So um, when you're not educated, you don't end up usually getting as 
that great of a job when you grow up. You don't have as many resources, so it's linked to poverty as well. And then apart from the eye issues, so the cutaneous reverse to the skin, so um, they're very susceptible to skin cancers, so especially squamous cell carcinoma and basal cell carcinomas. Um, And then they also face a lot of discrimination, which ties into these psychological challenges that they experience. So they're more likely to be abused. They're more likely to be withdrawn in social situations. They're, They're more likely to have less assertive personalities because of the way that they're treated. And um, there was a study done that also um, talked to a bunch of persons with albinism, and they overall considered society to be unkind and rejecting of them. So when you take the eye problems, the skin problems, the psychological issues, and then you add the fear of being killed or having your limbs chopped off, and then you tie in the, the poverty aspect where you're not really able to work outside in the sun because of the skin issues, but you're not really able to have access to an education a lot of the time because of the eye issues, and you tie poverty into that too, it just compounds the issue. So there's a lot of issues that persons with albinism are facing in Tanzania. Wow. I didn't realize it was um, mostly a recent issue as well. Is there a reason for that? And then we also wanted to ask, why is it specific to that area of the world? It's been going on for a long time. And, and yes, it's still going on now. There have been, since international attention has been called to the issue, Uh, It's been condemned more, but the killings are still going on. I think that it happens a lot in Tanzania just because of the prevalence. There's a huge difference in prevalence of persons with albinism throughout the world. So in the United States, you've got about one in every 36,000 people with albinism. And among African-Americans, that's about one in 10,000. So you bring it to Tanzania, it's about one in 1,400. So it's the most prevalent out of any country. Mm. Even in other African countries like South Africa and and Zimbabwe, it's only about one in 4,000 or one in 5,000. So there's more of them around. So I think that that doesn't help with the myths because it's not a super rare thing to see. And um, even these numbers in Tanzania are probably underestimated. There's, there could be up to about 17,000 undocumented albinos in Tanzania that haven't registered at tumor centers and so forth. So there's a lot more of them there. And then um, I guess just some of the superstitions and traditions and the witch doctors are the ones that are mostly perpetuating it. So when you bring in this community of witch doctors that are financially benefiting from the issue, these myths are just further perpetuated. Um, so... I'm aware you've actually done a few things to actually combat some of the issues that fa- for people who have albinism in Africa. So give us a little, give us an idea of some of the things you've done to improve the current situation. Okay. So um, one thing that we did while we were over there is we did an eye camp. So the idea was to allow um if, if people are able to experience better vision, then they can become more educated and then they can be able to take care of themselves economically more. So um, we did an eye camp. We got an, um, an, a company in the United States to donate a bunch of glasses. And then we were able to hire out a Tanzanian um, physician who came in and gave eye tests in this old church that donated the space for us. And so they were able to come in and try to match the prescriptions with the people who needed it. And that was an interesting experience as well, because usually here they figure out what your prescription is first. Right. But we kind of just had to take the resources we had and do the best match type of a thing. Um, But I think that was helpful. That was probably the most helpful project. 
we also got a few small telescopes so that people could use those um, when working. Uh -huh. Yep, just like small telescopes that they could use. Um, we did a jewelry project as well. So um, one of the one of the main things that we wanted to do is spread awareness about the issue. And in my opinion, one of the best ways to spread awareness is to target the younger generation, kind of college students, and get them fired up about the issue. They tend to be a little bit more open to change, being younger and so forth. And so we were targeting the college population and we were making bracelets as basically conversation pieces. So we developed a little symbol that was significant to the culture for unity. And we were able to have somebody um, kind of make a mold and a nail of that symbol. And then we pounded them into charms and then we we put them on bracelets. And we actually involved the albino community there as well because they were involved in the planning. So we got little tables that were, uh, I don't really know how to explain it, just small little kind of work tables that were magnifying glasses. So they were able to create the bracelets underneath these magnifying tables and um, attach the charms to it and then give them out in the community. And the idea was to, to also, I would like to do this sometime, but we weren't able to do it, but to take persons with albinism into college classrooms and have them tell their experiences, I think would be very powerful, especially if we could then give the bracelets out afterwards and have Tanzanian college students talk about it and kind of change things generationally. I think that would be a really good place to start. I haven't been able to do all of that yet, but we've at least made the bracelets. Um, another thing is collecting sunscreen. So there's not a lot of need for sunscreen in Africa usually. And, um, it's very expensive there. And so I just personally did a sunscreen drive. Um, Here in the ASU. US, right? Yeah. Yeah. When I was a student at ASU, did a sunscreen drive and collected a bunch of sunscreen, um, did like a river float and had people donate sunscreen and then took that to Tanzania. And then the last is just creating this little mini documentary to play at film festivals that could hopefully connect other people to the issue that haven't heard about it before. So basically spreading awareness and then basically I, like I really, really would like to start this revolution in, in yeah. Tanzania where we go out with these bracelets and we bring persons with albinism into college classrooms and get that going. So hopefully at some future point I'll get some more funding and that will happen. So these bracelets are just some like a conversation starter kind of – is this kind of like the Live Strong bracelet like – um, even though that he's not someone we want to remember anymore, but, um, <laughs> but, but, uh, this was just something that helped bring awareness to, uh, cancer, right? What was it? Something. Right. Uh, um, so it's kind of like that, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's the same concept. Okay, cool. Um, so a, a lot of the things you talked about kind of reminded me, especially when you're talking about I'm um, talking to the younger, younger generation because they were the most malleable to change. It kind of reminds me of some of the issues we have here, that the younger college generation are the ones that are more open to changing their ideas about stigmas um, with with our culture. So let's talk a little bit about um, how this applies to us in the United States. I mean, we don't, like you said, albinism isn't um, as as widespread in the United States. Um, but it seems like a lot of these principles apply here, um, for a lot of other things that have stigmas and like, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Right. So some of the stigmas that I didn't mention earlier related to albinism in Tanzania, um, one of them is that sex with an albino can cure AIDS What? or that albinism is caused by a woman sleeping with a white man. And so, 
that causes divorces and abandonment and things like that, that albinos are ghosts, that they're a curse on society. If there's a drought or a flood or a famine, they caused it. And so all of these ideas surrounding, these are just ideas, you, you take what they look like and then you're connecting it to these totally false ideas about who they are as individuals. And then that relates to this violence against them. People saying, oh, you can use their blood as a metal detector to get more gold, or you can wow. use their hair to sprinkle in the ocean and it'll bring more fish in for you and you'll make more money, or you can use their bones in an amulet to bring you luck. So, so they take the physical appearance and they kind of connect it to these false ideas that then relate to violence and discrimination. And we see this all the time when people are different, right? So you can see it with race, like especially in the past, race issues, um, religious minorities, persons with disabilities. You see these issues, uh, these ideas about their competence or um, their abilities, and then it's related to subjugating people, such as slavery. Um, so, but you also see it with other health issues, such as leprosy in India or HIV/AIDS, where there's stigmas surrounding somebody's health status. And so you see it all over the world. You see it here. It's in our history. It's well and alive today in many situations. So it's it's not just, oh, the people of Tanzania are like this or that. It's, I think it's a human thing that when you're around people who are different than the majority, you see these kind of effects. Yeah. So I guess the the big takeaway is is uh, don't we, we like to make those connections, but but uh, don't be so quick to. Right. Right. Yeah. And and you also see it with another take home, I think, is the power differentials, um, because a lot of the times minorities don't have as much political power or economic power as those who are not. And so you see that with things like uh, women and children or these power structures. You even see it with albinism. It's it's the perfect case study. Right. Because you have the you have the persons with albinism. You have the witch doctors who are perpetuating the myths, and they're the ones who are benefiting financially. And then you have the killers, and then you have the end users, right? So the end users are the ones who are the rich and the powerful, and they're the ones that are driving the market for the body parts of the persons with albinism. Then you have the killers who are usually less educated, very poor, People who can be easily persuaded to go and kill someone with albinism, who can be um, persuaded by the myths that they're ghosts, that they're a curse on society, that you'll be doing society a favor if you remove them from society. They can't die because they're a ghost. And so you're able to use that poverty and leverage that poverty to get somebody to do your bidding. And then the end user, the rich and the powerful people, are never prosecuted, right? The only people that are prosecuted are the actual killers and maybe sometimes the witch doctors. Um, and so you can relate that back to a lot of issues in the U.S. as well. I mean, if you look at child pornography, for example, you have the people who are producing the child pornography and the victims who are the children, but then you have the end users who are mostly the probably like the more affluent people who are able to just do this in the privacy of their own homes, and they're never prosecuted or touched. Usually it's the individuals who are actually more hands-on that it happens with and so you have this this layer where the end users are totally removed from the killings and they only get the end product and so i think you can relate that a lot with with power differentials that happens all over the world as well not just with tanzania and not just with persons with albinism wow so what can we do to be more involved with the 
maybe some things you're doing. What are there some websites we can go to? How can we be our listeners be more aware of what's going on? Absolutely. So there's several documentaries. So if you just search for Albinism Tanzania documentary, you can find several documentaries if you want to learn more about it. If you want to take a more hands-on approach, um, there's a great organization called Under the Same Sun. They're the ones who, um, they're actually housing two women who I, who I met over there. And um, those two women had their arms chopped off and uh, they're kind of in this school that protects them it's enclosed it's a it's a confidential location so nobody knows where they are and they're teaching them how to knit and um they're able to provide for themselves economically so even the one girl she had both of her arms cut off in her home when she was 24 years old and she has a son and um she was taken to america and she received these prosthetic limbs and then she went back and now she's being cared for in the school learning how to knit. And so it's under the same sun that's doing that. Um, and then I think just, just having it be a conversation piece. It's great to have it be a conversation piece here, but it also needs to be one over there. I remember we were actually heading to interview those two women that I just mentioned who had their arms cut off. And our, we were talking to our taxi driver about where we were going. And he said, oh, you know, that's really interesting," he said, "because I've heard that that albinos they they're ghosts and that they can't die." And he goes, "But I'm not sure if it's true or not." So he was questioning it. <laughs> it was even and a question so, at all. Wow. Yeah, yeah, he was questioning it because a lot of people in Tanzania believe that, and some say that the majority of people in Tanzania believe that, although oh. it's probably more common in the rural areas. So this taxi driver wasn't sure, and he was questioning it. So what we did is we just invited him to come into the interview with us. I said, hey, you know, like since you're driving us home anyway, why don't you just come into the interview? Maybe you can help with translation or something. So he came in and he was able to hear her whole story from start to finish. And um, we left there and he just gave me a hug and he said, thank you so much for letting me letting me join you. He said, because now I know that these people are actually people. He's like, I know that they're not a, that they're not ghosts. And I realize how much they've been through. And he's like, I just want to tell all of my friends and family about this so that they know that everything that we've heard about it is not true. So I think just being able to have a conversation around things is so powerful. And not only for albinism, but for other things in our own society that we might consider issues. You know, talking to somebody in the LGBT population, if you've been raised in a situation where it's very frowned upon can be like a very powerful tool in seeing the actual issues and challenges that people yeah. go through. So, um, so I think we can definitely take a lesson from that and relate it back to our, to our own lives and our own culture with various issues. Changing the world one taxi driver at a time. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> now, is there any other stories you wanted to tell us? Uh, experiences? Um, yeah. So let me just think a little bit. Um, so there's a story about the woman who who kind of brought the issue to light to the international community, which is very fascinating. So her name is Vicky Intatema. So I was able to talk with her a lot while I was over there. And she um, she's a BBC reporter. So she got wind of all of this and she decided she was going to bring the issue to light. And so what she did is she went undercover as a businesswoman and she started visiting all of the witch doctors. And... She has guts because 
<laughs> because some of these witch doctors, she described that they have henchmen. And so when it was found out that she was actually recording things and gathering data oh, no. to tell the international community what was going on, a bounty was placed on her head. <sighs> and these witch doctors sent their henchmen out to kill her. So wow. she had to actually flee the country for quite some time and go kind of go into hiding, flee the country. And she, she's been back since then. But all of these witch doctors were after her. But she was able to really be brave and bring it to the international community. And and then um, <laughs> actually she told me that a lot of the people in, in the government of Tanzania did not appreciate her after that either. And so she kind of had a, a lot of flack from a lot of different angles because it didn't really make the country look so good when wow. she started talking about the issue. And so she was one really cool person that I met over there. Um, and then there was also Mariamu, the woman who had both of her arms chopped off. The thing that I really appreciated about her was the forgiveness that she showed. When I was talking to her, she told me, she said, hey, yeah, my attacker was in prison, but now he's out of prison. And she said, and if I meet with him on the street, I will, I'll peacefully talk to him and I'll do anything um, and I'll be his friends. And when the guy goes to heaven, he'll be forgiven. And so it was quite a fascinating story of forgiveness with, you know, how much fear and how much psychological trauma he must have inflicted upon her. In addition to the irreparable damage of both of her arms were cut off and now she's having to deal with that. But she was just so forgiving and said, I'll forgive the man and he'll go to heaven and God will forgive him and we'll be in heaven together. Um, juxtaposing it with the, the same girl, another girl that I interviewed on the same day who had had the same thing happen. And she was of the opinion that, you know, if somebody cuts off the arm of a person with albinism, they should be killed um, to set an example to stop the killing. And so so it was fascinating to see the different reactions to this to the same experience. Um, yeah, just just some crazy things happened happened. I ran into my friend Martha, who's also albino, and she started an organization called Albino Peacemaker Group. She was on her way to pick up a body when I ran into her of a man who had been killed. He'd had all four of his limbs cut off and his head, and he had been totally skinned. Um, so they were just using all of his body parts for everything. And I was able to go to the funeral slash press conference. And um, there were very few people there, but the people that were there were really dedicated to the issue and getting the word out and stopping everything. So it's been cool to see to see people who have been so committed to the issue and so dedicated to stopping things, especially organizations like Under the Same Sun. So, um, yeah, I've had a lot of interesting experiences with persons with albinism and just seeing their struggles and and their challenges and then seeing how some of them are, are rallying and trying to kind of rally the troops and take care of their fellow albinos has been really ins inspiring to see as well. Well, this has definitely been eye-opening for us, and and I and hopefully for our listeners too. Um, uh, yeah, thanks for enlightening us. And uh, yeah, I, there are plenty of takeaways here: uh, racism, um, any kind of you know stigmas that we have in society. Um, so, so uh, Sarah Hall, thank you for your time, and uh, thanks for uh, uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been fun. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, if you like the episode, subscribe to our show on your podcast app so you can catch every episode. If you're listening uh, from our Facebook page, that's great, but the podcast app is better. Yeah, 
And that's the Purple app on your iPhone. It's called Podcasts. And on Android, there are plenty of apps you can download. We recommend Pocket Casts. That's what we use. But um, we just really want to encourage everybody to go listen to more podcasts in addition to our own. So you can get those on any podcast app, and they're all free. So um, check us out. We are on all of those platforms. Our music is provided by D.D. Dumbo with permission, and this has been Ununinformed with Kendall Minutes. And this is Sean Seavey. Um, also, don't forget to like our Facebook page um, so you can uh, be in loop for every ep- every new episode. You can also check us out on our website at ununinformed.com. That's un-uninformed.com. Thanks, guys.